He's got one foot in the frying pan and one in the pressure cooker. Believe me, as a bowler, I know that right about now, your bladder feels like an overstuffed vacuum cleaner bag, and your butt is kind of like an about-to-explode bratwurst. Hey, do you mind? I wasn't talking when you were bowling. Was I talking out loud? Welcome to Munson's at the Movies. My name is Kyle. I will once again be your host. I'm here with the rest of the Munson's. Want to give them a wide berth. He's what is called a born loser. A real Munson. <laughs> and talk a little bit about what's going on in the worlds. We will not have Warren this week. He is dealing with a bunch of stuff on, in, on his side. But we will have his Munson meter score at the end. So if you're here just for that. You'll have to wait a little bit, probably eh, around an hour and a half. But we will do our best without him. We miss you, Warren. Excited to have you back next time. But in the meantime, I'll toss it to the rest of the guys who are here today. And we'll start with James. Pumped to be here, podcasting before a 5 a.m. flight. So making good life decisions. But I'm excited to talk about some Tucci Gang with you guys. Rigby. Uh, Pumped to be here as well. And I cannot believe this is our 40th episode. (laughs) <laughs> come a long way from jgl in that cold january night the first one we did about a about a year and a half ago so congratulations on episode 40 it is a, a year and a half man we've a lot of movie watching in a year and a half that's for sure yep well did you watch have you watched more movies in the last year or are you just paying attention to more movies in the last year <laughs> I'm definitely watching a lot more older movies than i was before it was all new stuff before that yeah i agree yeah, I feel like I watch, and, and since this podcast has started, I feel like I just pay attention more because I don't want to sound like a like a flipping idiot. Crazy that we've been at this for 40 episodes, but it's still fun, and, and I'm excited for more. Absolutely. Yeah, in my life, I am happy that the bulk of 4th of July is over because maybe a hot take. I'm not that big of a fan of freedom. I mean, fireworks. <laughs> I figured you'd be like, what is he doing? Kyle, we are in... We are a fully freedom podcast. What are you doing here? Kyle not supporting the troops? Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, I believe it's a hashtag not supporting. (laughs) Some random listener is going to start that hashtag. No, I just, as someone who had a dog previously, and I've never been a big fan of fireworks and them popping off every night all the time, just gets old really quickly. So I'll be glad when July, the, the early to middle part of July is behind us. But what I won't protest is the presence of our next guest, and that is Jeff Reed of the From First to Last podcast. Jeff was previously a film reviewer. Now he's the co-host of the From First to Last podcast. FFTL, as it's affectionately known, focuses on a director's filmography in order of their release. So some previous directors have been Robert Zemeckis, Zack Snyder, Catherine Bigelow, and at the end of July, FFTL's Michael Mann season drops. Welcome to the pod, Jeff. Welcome, buddy. Hello, hello. Welcome, sir. Welcome. (laughs) It's good to be here from downtown Australia. (laughs) Just that that, that one little city in Australia, downtown Australia? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it. It's one giant city. Uh, We're an island. Sounds lovely. Yeah, it's good to be here. I'm really excited. I love talking who we affectionately call Stanley Tucci, the Tooch. <laughs> We're big fans of the Tooches. We love people we love in Australia, you give them nicknames. So we've got the Tooch. We talk about Sheila LaBeouf. We call him the Beef. And uh, Tom Cruise, you know, what do you reckon we call Tom Cruise? Crazy. The crew. 
Cruise control, speed two. <laughs> uh, no, we, we just call him Tom Cruise because he's Tom Cruise and he's freaking awesome. He deserves the two names. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I'm, I'm really keen to be here uh, talking to Tucci. Uh, I love Stanley Tucci. So I love movies. I love Stanley Tucci. So when you get to do a whole podcast on that, man, I'm so on board. Yeah, that's why we brought you in. Listen to that enthusiasm. Love it. Dude, we're pumped to have you. Bottle that up. Like you focus on directors in your podcast? So the whole, the name is the premise, really. We watch their movies from first to last. And it just came about, we thought about when we talk about, say, a film has a story arc, it's really interesting to think of a career of a director and see if they actually follow a story arc as well. Interesting. So by focusing on their film the whole way through, we then our very last episode watch their first film and their last film together and then talk about their growth throughout that time very cool that's cool yeah i love it i love movies as you mentioned before i was a film reviewer we had a website in australia not too dissimilar but probably much nicer spirit than the old ain't it cool from back in the day and we were really fortunate to get to meet a whole heap of actors directors and stuff like that because there wasn't too many people in australia doing it so whenever the press happened we you know, uh, we got to spend time with Zack Snyder before he was these Zack, Zack Snyder or, um, you know, spending. Uh, I remember we got really blasé about it because we were young and stupid. And I remember one day thinking, oh, do I really want to go talk to J.J. Abrams again? What? <laughs> I think about it now and I think, you young idiot. Like, <laughs> That's awesome. That was just our little life for five or six years. It was really cool. Well, welcome, brother from down under, man. We're we're right there with you. Oh, no. Just one of the gang today, that's all. Yes, your highness. <laughs> <laughs> we're down a Munson, so we need, it. we need all the help we can get. <laughs> as long as you guys can call me Sir Jeffrey for the rest of the episode. That's, <laughs> that's 100% that's... Sir Jeffrey. 100%. <laughs> that's a little too far for me, but I'll just avoid calling on you. I'll let everyone else do that. <laughs> Birthdays, July 15th, Warren is not here, so Rigby is our normal replacement birthday guy. Yep, pinch in for Warren, so hopefully I can follow in his shoes. All right, so July 15th, first up, we got Forrest Whitaker, Last King of Scotland, Panic Room, and The Butler. Dude, he's looked old his whole life. I have no idea how old that man is. <laughs> 68. 61. I'll go with 65. Uh, 59. Wow, so that was a good good guess from all of you guys. He is turning 60, which I Ooh, was yeah. very surprised at. I thought he was a lot older. Dude, it, it's, he's just always looked old. Jeff coming in with a W. <laughs> so Jeff gets the win. Good job, Jeff. Coming in first on the first, on the first uh, celebrity. Nice work. Way to go, sir, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. All right, number two, Diane Kruger plays Nicolas Cage's love interest in the National Treasure movies and also famous role in Inglorious Bastards. Mm-hmm. So how old is Diane? I do not know this actor's work that well, so I'm going based off that movie. 45. All right, so we got a 45 from James. 48. 45. Oh, so you both have 45, you and James? Yeah, there's no okay. way that's the case. Okay. Kyle, All right, give me so 43. Give me 43. 43. <laughs> 43. All right. 46. Oh, Kyle, you should have stuck with 45 because she is turning 45. Two down, one to go. We're going to do Ari Aster, Hereditary, Midsummer, one of the best young directors out there. We all, this is a very pro Hereditary podcast, I think. Oh, so, dude, I've never seen this dude in my life. <laughs> I thought I'd throw a curveball your way by not, by not doing an actor. So, we're going to do a director, but he's definitely one of the best young, young directors out there, I'd say. Yeah, I just know he's 
young, but I don't know anything what he looks like. No idea. It's very on theme for Jeff's participation. Here. There you go. So a director in there. So I'm going to go with 31. Okay. Wait, R, you said Ari Hester? Ari Aster. Aster, that's completely different than Army Hammer, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Shit. Okay. Um, less, ca- less cannibalism. Yeah. Just take that into account. Yeah, he would not score well on this. Remember, this is an anti. <laughs> this is an anti-rape podcast, Greg. Yeah, already big time. Oh. Yeah. Give me thirty-eight. Uh, I, I don't know, thirty-five. I'll split the difference. Yeah. I'm a bit of a wuss, so I don't handle scary movies very well. So I haven't watched Hereditary or yeah, Summer. Good, good call. I, I watched the. I saw the trailer for Hereditary, and I think there was a pair of scissors and a bird involved, and I was like, nope, I'm out. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to say, I don't know, 27. I'm going a real low ball one. Love it. James, you hit it on the head again, 35. Nice job. Oh, that was just Price's right in it, too. I have no idea what this man looks like. Oof, that feels good. <laughs> <laughs> what an ask, Jeever. I'll tell you what. <laughs> good work, Rigby. The five actors we threw onto the wheel were Tim Allen, Tilda Swinton, Anthony Mackie, Meg Ryan, and the Tooch, Stanley Tucci. And as you know by now, given our the title on this episode and the photo, they're probably like, oh, I really like Stanley Tucci. Then you know that we're covering Tucci. If you look at his careers, in terms of total number of credits, pretty similar to the last actor that we covered in Willem Dafoe. He's got about 135 credits total, mostly film, but he's got a lot of recurring TV characters Um in there, and then the one note I'll make, and you'll you'll notice a pattern as we go through here. Every episode, we usually note if they cross over with another Munson actor that we've covered previously in roles. And I mean, naturally, so you get to episode forty, it's going to happen a lot more. But digging through, Tucci's by far the most prolific for working with other actors that we've covered at this point. So a lot of the movies we're going to talk about, we've mentioned either in full length or very briefly or not at all in other episodes up to this point. So mm-hmm. Tucci uh, is like the socialite of all the actors we've covered. That's for sure. All right. So before we dig into the filmography and start talking about all of the, the fun of Stanley Tucci's life, let's get into some trivia. And James, per usual, will do his best to stump us. So Jeff, what we do here is... Two truths and a lie. I'm going to read two facts about Stanley Tucci, and one of uh, the other facts is going to be about a cast member of the Fast and Furious franchise, and you have to guess which one that is. You don't have to guess which cast member, you just got to guess which one's not about Tucci. I need to know, Jeff, what's your opinion on the Fast and the Furious world? I used to be a uh, closet Fast and Furious fan, but I'm out and loud and proud. (laughs) I love the Fast and Furious franchise just for the fact that they've gone, how do we make uh, Mission Impossible slash James Bond movies for people who think that Mission Impossible and James Bond is too highbrow? (laughs) I'm really loving all the Vin Diesel memes that are popping up at the moment about family as well. They're just so I think they're all hilarious. So I'm on board for it. So he loves it and he will openly mock it with us. Love it. (laughs) Okay, so fact number one. He is such a fan of Benihana that he built a replica Benihana in his backyard. Fact number two. Ving Rhames, whose real first name is Irving, credits him for first calling him Ving. Fact number three. Worked as a janitor at a county park. I think the third one is the lie, but I don't know who it is. Yeah, I agree. 
as a dead giveaway that it was so short. And I think Fact 3 is actually about the director of the upcoming and much-anticipated Fast and Furious 10, Justin Lim. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh. It's, a, it's a good guess, but it's not accurate because I know that he owned a restaurant. I don't think it was in the location and or the type of restaurant you mentioned in, in Fact 1. So I think that one's wrong. That was actually one of the hot girls. And by I say hot girls, I mean that was her character in Fast and Furious from 2009. <laughs> and that was Noreen Zame. Not to be confused with hot girl Becky O'Donohue, hot girl Sharon Zeeve. Do <laughs> you think Noreen Zame would ever be confused with Becky O'Donohue? Come on, no one would ever do that. <laughs> <laughs> the casting for those movies are incredibly tedious and the fact that you would mock Noreen Zane publicly like this, like we don't need that kind of flack, James, and I'm really disappointed in you. I think the Benny Hanna one sounds like something a Vin Diesel would do. Oh. I think that sort of just screams, you know, when you hear the stories of good old Mr. Diesel being upset for quite a few Fast and Furious movies at the fact that no one would recognize him as an official producer of the series. <laughs> and have you guys heard that um, amazing Vin Diesel single that dropped like end of last yeah, year? Yeah, I loved it. It, it was yeah, pretty we, good. <laughs> we, we pass that around to each other. We're hip to all the new Vin Diesel things, so <laughs> you're not going to slide anything past James. Man. Tell me you can't hear that playing on a backyard restaurant playlist on repeat. Uh, it, it screams right. Vin Diesel. So, <laughs> That's a really uh, good guess, yeah. <laughs> either that or Tyrese always is talking about food in all the movies, and I can tell you that's the best part of his acting is every time he talks about food. <laughs> and so I think that's the most natural part of Tyrese's performance in the movies. So it could quite easily be Tyrese Gibson as well. Man loves an apple. <laughs> so fact number three is actually true. He worked as a janitor at a county park cleaning toilets while he was in college in upstate New York. Wow. Fact number two, while he was at college, he was roommates with Ving Rames at, uh, at SUNY Purchase in upstate New York. <laughs> and Ving Rames says he's the, is the reason he goes by Ving is because Tucci told him he should shorten it. Does anyone else want to see the odd couple starring Stanley Tucci and Ving Rhames while they're in college? <laughs> I want that real world. Let's go. That's awesome. I just want to hang out. I want to be at the barbecue. Mm -hmm. But fact number one, the person to be hosting that barbecue is, although Stanley Tucci is a proud foodie um, and he's actually published two cookbooks and has a cooking show currently, this is a Tyrese Gibson fact. Sir Jeffrey nails it. <laughs> Built in 2012, Gibson Hana is Gibson's go-to spot to share onion volcanoes, flying shrimp, and fresh chicken teriyaki. He built his own in his backyard. Wow. The best. I don't think we've ever had anybody, Guest or Munson, get it absolutely correct. The right one with the right Munson. Respect where it's due. <laughs> that is 100% uh, nailed on the money. That's really good. All right, snapshot and box office history case. What do we got? You know, he finishes in, in the top third. Uh, as I was starting to plug in all these movies through his through his career, he's got two movies that world grossed in the billions, and that's wild. And we haven't had anybody like that since Chris Pratt. Then he's got a lot of other you know, what I've called passion projects in the past where you can tell that he's really into producing or directing or acting these movies and they just take a beating. But I don't think 
he's also sitting there at home trying to figure out how to make the next billion dollar movie. I think he's probably looking at what are really good films that he can do. What are the two billion dollar films? Beauty and the Beast. And the other one is Transformers, Age of Extinction. Would have never guessed those two. I didn't realize they did that well. Yeah. No, I wouldn't have either. I was thinking like a Transformers or something. Beauty and the Beast has come up in a couple different episodes, correct, Kyle? Yeah, Emma Thompson was, I think, the the big one. As I'm sitting here looking, you know, I ended up with about 40 movies of him. Of the 40-plus movies I have, 14 lost money. So, you know, he's really kind of balanced out some of those projects. And, you know, overall, like I said, he ends up, you know, right in the middle of the pack for us. He's number 11 in star ranking, star meter ranking, 18th in critic, 16th in fan, 15th and 19th in two different box office metrics. And then overall, he comes in at 12th. So it was actually lower than I thought, because I almost texted you guys like, man, the Tinch is going to be a box office king. When I pulled all the numbers together and started looking at everything, he kind of sunk back into the middle of the pack. But a really impressive career when you start looking at the movies that we're going to talk about tonight. Awesome. Thanks, Case. You bet. All right. So James hit on some fun facts early. My favorite was the Ving Rhames one. So I'm glad you used <laughs> that, James, because that's the literally one of the coolest things I think we've encountered with any of the actors we've covered to this point. Absolutely. But pre, I guess his first major role we're going to cover is 1993. So pre-1993, just some early Tooch facts. Number one, he's born in Peekskill, New York. So you know, U.S. born, East Coast guy. He had a soccer and baseball background growing up, so he's into the sports. Went to John Jay High School, was involved in a lot of drama productions. And as we'll talk about here, you know, he got got his start on the stage. Not too different than a lot of the actors we've covered up to this point, including his Broadway debut in 1982 as a soldier in The Queen and the Rebels. And it was kind of his first big acting role after, you know, the high school days. But also early on, he was a model for Levi's commercials. And if you look up his name on Google, you will find thirst trap photos of Stanley Tucci in his <laughs> Levi stuff where he is jacked and also very bald already. So this this bald Tucci lifestyle, not new to him by any stretch of the imagination. But the confidence, you know? Seriously. 100%. <laughs> You know, it was before it was really cool to rock a bald. Yeah, dude. <laughs> His first role ever, allegedly, and important key here, allegedly, because if you listen to the Defoe episode, you know we talked about this briefly, and we also mentioned this when we talked about the Angelica Houston episode. Allegedly, he played a soldier again uh-huh. in Pritzy's Honor in 1985, a movie we talked about. Uh, on the Houston episode, but we could not find him at any point in time in the movie. Jeff, have you seen it, and did you find him? I have not seen it, but maybe we're finding out that the Tooch likes to update his own IMDb profile, and he's just like, <laughs> oh, I'm adding that one in for some yep. cred. You know what? That won some Oscars. I should be in that movie. Exactly. That is what I thought as well, is he's probably an extra in it, but you don't see him. He's like, I was there on set. That shit counts. Like, put it on the scoreboard. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So that was his first movie, technically. His first TV show appearance was in 87 in an episode of Crime Story. And then he was in In the Soup as Gregor in 91. And then followed that up with his character Vernon alongside Oliver Platt in Beethoven in 92. A crossover with Bonnie Hunt in a role that I think Rigby talked about in that episode that you 
enjoyed the movie and also were raving about Tucci and Platt as a like a Marvin Harry before they were Marvin Harry. Yeah, just like bumbling. I mean, they're they're pretty good bad guys. They're, I mean, he's, I don't know, Stanley Tucci comes off as much more intimidating than Oliver Platt, but they're definitely like the uh, gang who can't shoot straight. Yeah, that was a that was a shock when I was watching uh, Beethoven for the Bonnie Hunt episode, and I, I remember one of my notes was like, "Fucking Stanley Tucci's the bad guy." <laughs> I was so shocked, it was like oh, recognizable from a mile away. And then following that, the year later, he was in the Pelican Brief as Kamel in a crossover with John Lithgow. I just remember the scene where he plays a terrorist who uh, chokes. Pee Wee Herman in the porn theater. It's not Pee Wee Herman, but he, ch- he chokes somebody out of the porn theater. The guy's got like four different costumes on in the first 15 minutes of the movie. It's hilarious. That's right. You said he's like a chameleon in that one, right? Yeah. He switch- and he switches back and forth between like mustache and no mustache, right? I believe. Yeah. He is only in like the first half, if I remember correctly. If we're spoiling it, yeah, he gets killed like halfway through. Poor Stanley. Tooch. Spoiled um, that. 30-year-old movie. Right. <laughs> Same year, we're going to go with a little bit bigger of a role, and that's his role in Undercover Blues, his first feature film. And James is going to talk about that. I'm going to read a quick synopsis of this movie. Veteran spies, played by Kathleen Turner and Dennis Quaid, abandon their successful careers to raise a family in New Orleans. And by family, they mean a one-year-old. They make a point in the movie to mention that they still haven't decided a name for the one-year-old. That's the most unrealistic shit I've ever seen. Like we th- we're thinking about calling her this. I was like, nope, there's no way a kid that's about to be like walking around doesn't have a name yet. I don't buy it. But that was just the side point. <laughs> so Dennis Quaid attracts police attention when he gets beat up by a mugger named Muerta, which is played by Stanley Tucci. And immediately he gets identified. And so the police come and look for him. And these two spies now have to come out of retirement since they've kind of been spotted down there when their nemesis, played by Fiona Shaw, gets her hands on explosives. If you could tell by my tone, it's just like a corny nothingness movie. It was like Dennis Quaid is like a like a funnier version of James Bond and is like always just like has a quick one liner and, you know, a, a shitty grin on his face and like everything goes his way. And like, it's kind of boring, but the person who stands out the most is Tucci. He's so good, man. He's awesome in that. He's like so over the top as this like very loud, eccentric, like kind of thug. And he's funny in every scene that he's in. And so I did enjoy his performance. But the movie itself was just like, meh. I was very much on the side of the critics here and think it. It's more towards like a 40-ish when it comes to like rating it. Like it's not bad and it's kind of like slickly filmed. So you're like, oh, maybe something will happen. But there's just like nothing there the whole time. I am what? Yeah, like I thought Tucci was hysterical, but like the movie itself is just like meh. Very naive criminal. And it's got the uh, speaking Spanish kind of with the Spanish accent. And he goes all in. I'll give him that. Yeah, dude. And Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner beat the shit out of him in like every scene. Like every other (laughs) scene is like, oh, he shows up again and they just whoop his ass again. It's pretty funny. They go to like mug Dennis Quaid and Dennis Quaid takes his one-year-old out of the stroller and then beats the shit out of them with the stroller. <laughs> I'm like, all right, that's pretty funny. Like, this movie has promise. And then it's like every scene that Tucci's not in isn't funny. I'm like, oh, all right. I don't like, I like this guy. All right, this movie kind of sucks, but Tucci's great. <laughs> yeah, apparently they originally offered the role of Morta to Antonio Banderas. Oh, interesting. 
He did not accept. So Tucci stepped in and uh, took advantage of that opportunity. Kyle, that's hilarious because I almost made the joke. It sounds like what they based Antonio Banderas's character on in Spy Kids. <laughs> it's probably pretty similar. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen it yet, and for those listening, like James said, the movie's not great. It's got its moments. It's corny. But you should go at least watch the YouTube clip, like five minutes of just highlights of Stanley Tucci as Morta from the movie because he is a ball of fun yeah. from start to finish. And one of many times that Stanley is rocking an accent in one of his roles, too. So that's a little bit of a prelude for some other stuff we'll see going forward. So that's Undercover Blues, first feature film, 93. We are going to jump straight into another review. Normally, we don't do that. Usually, there's a few roles in between, but there's really nothing noteworthy between his Undercover Blues appearance as Morta and his appearance in the lowest critic score of Jury Duty, 1995. Rigby is going to talk about one of the few Pauly Shore films that we've encountered in 40 episodes. Yeah, and lucky me. <laughs> this one is the definition of a guilty pleasure for me. I don't know why and I don't know how, but for some reason it always has been. So it's sitting pretty with a zero on Rotten Tomatoes. Well-deserved. Whoa. It earned its lowest critic score. Yes, it definitely did. So Jury Duty is a 1995 comedy starring Pauly Shore. It's got a pretty good ensemble cast. Tia Carrera, Brian Doyle Murray, Stanley Tucci, uh, Abe Vigoda, Charles Napier. Maybe not actors who are known for taking big roles, but they're just they're just well-known in Hollywood, whether playing side characters in a lot of other movies. How they agreed to be in this, I'll never understand. <laughs> But I discovered this movie when I was when I was a young kid. I think I probably saw it for the first time when I was like six or seven and thought it was really stupid. And then I rewatched it. It was on, I think, Crackle like five years ago. And I realized that although it is one of the prime definitions of a movie that is so bad that it's good, I love how it kind of is a sarcastic look at like the American judicial system and how we cover trials and the way the media sensationalizes them. It also kind of satirizes a lot of courtroom movies, like well-known courtroom movies, like Twelve Angry Men, The Verdict. It's just stuff that, like, oh, you like, oh, that's what they're that's what they're referencing. So I like movies that are kind of they kind of play off like other movies to make you realize, like, oh, you have to sort of know what's going on to to get that joke. Basically, obviously, a lot of people didn't, didn't get the jokes because uh, the movie is was so badly reviewed and it was a box office bomb. Um, but the basic gist of the movie is. Pauly Shore plays what he plays in pretty much every movie, like an unemployed slacker who <laughs> his parents or his mom leaves him to go get married to her then boyfriend. And he is stuck with no place to live. And he realizes that the best thing to do in his life to have a place to stay, to have get that $5 a day is to uh, be selected to a jury and not just a jury. He wants a long jury. He wants one that, um, he's going to be secluded from society and just live out. Uh, basically, he's trying to avoid his day to day, even though he doesn't, even though he's a slacker and he doesn't really have any responsibilities. He's trying to avoid his day to day life by just being on a jury. So he lands a jury spot in a murder trial, which is kind of spoofed along the lines of O.J. Simpson at the time. Uh, all the jurors has to be have to be sequestered. The plot of the movie is basically him trying to extend the trial, even though. All the jurors think that this guy is guilty. It's him trying to extend the trial as much as possible and holding out hope that he can come back for jury duty one more day um, each day. So ridiculous plot, ridiculous movie, but in typical Pauly Shore fashion, there's 
The movie is so bad, but there are probably five or six parts of it that are just laugh out loud funny, and you don't really know why you're laughing at them. But I don't know. I'm kind of like that with every Pauly Shore movie, except for except for Biodome, which I find to be the most. Aside from Speed Two, I find that to be the most abhorrent movie ever made. But <laughs> I'm like that with Encino Man. I'm like that with Son in Law. There's just a lot of there's just a lot of stupid stupid moments, but. You know, every 20 minutes, you're like, why am I laughing at that joke? But I find it very funny. Stanley Tucci plays the villain in this movie, um, who doesn't really make much of an appearance until about halfway through the movie. He has a short little, he has a short little appearance about 20 minutes through, and he's selected as a juror in the jury box along with Pauly Shore. And it turns out that he ends up being the villain and the, the murderer behind the movie. You know, Stanley Tucci, I, I, said to my mom last night, I was like, I think, you know, she asked me why I was watching that. I was like, I don't, I have to watch because Stanley Tucci's in it, even though I, I would think that this would probably be one of his bigger regrets, regrets of yeah. his career, just because it is so, it is so bad. <laughs> and his acting in it is really bad. I mean, the acting in it's awful. It's like they wrote the script in like six hours and said, do what you can with it, basically. But yeah, I mean, Tucci, he's like a, weird environmentalist who the reason he murders people is because they work at fast food restaurants where the fast food restaurants are plumb in styrofoam. So he, he, he feels like because they're contributing to the waste of the environment, they deserve to die. So that's the, that's the rationale about why he kills the people in the movie. Damn how tight cast Pauly Shore has been. Cause I've always viewed him as such a thespian. <laughs> I love the arc for his character. He struggled at the start to become a male stripper, and by the end, he became a male stripper, and I think that's admirable. <laughs> Paid his way through law school, right? Exactly. <laughs> I actually went in completely blind on it, and so I was sent a link to watch it. Before I clicked on it, I saw the name of the movie. It was Jury Duty, and I had a choice yesterday, which was to watch Margin Call, which I was very interested to watch. But then I thought, no, nah, I'll watch Jury Duty. It's probably some courtroom drama. It's going to give a nice, meaty performance for Stanley Tucci. So I clicked it, and the credits start rolling at the start, and then I saw, I think it was like Weasel Productions. <laughs> and, and, and suddenly it was like one of those moments in a film, you know, where the camera like stays focused on someone's face and the background like whooshes past them. And it was like I got flooded with all these repressed memories of teenage Jeff watching <laughs> Paulie Shaw movies. And I was like, you're kidding me. These bastards have tricked me into watching Paulie Shaw. <laughs> you immediately went to a local convenience store looking for the food groups. Peanut group. <laughs> but the ending just becomes out and out a Looney Tunes cartoon, which Stanley Tucci, God bless him, just like fully commits to. Even like his girlish scream of like when he thinks there's asbestos in his face, in his face, and and he like squeals <laughs> before dying or at least falling off the the balcony. That's a great point, Jeff. I feel the same way. And Tucci does have that high pitched voice thing Kyle you there's a scene that you sent out earlier where he's like <laughs> it's, it's so out of nowhere and it doesn't make any sense but it's a choice it's a choice he definitely I, I mean this is a very low bar but he was probably the best actor in the movie I would say I mean he did the best acting even though even though his role was pretty minor it's the bar was low comparatively to bar, his co-stars but I get you I'm with you Absolutely. I think though early on in his career, you're already seeing that like Stanley Tucci is one of those characters that when he when he's on screen, you're like, who is that guy? 
And, and yeah. like, it doesn't matter what he's doing, whether it's Beethoven, which, like, I love the way that, like, Tucci starts creating relationships with other actors and just wanting to work with them. We'll see Tony Shalhoub yeah. a bit later on. And, like, Oliver Platt, he's back later for The Imposters because yeah. he obviously mm-hmm. identified that he had a good working relationship and good chemistry, so he wants to yeah. keep those things going. But, like, he just commits the whole way. And it's one of those things... But he never commits to a Nicolas Cage level. Right. Nicolas Cage makes the level. <laughs> <laughs> That's the level. His career reminds me so much of Jeremy Pivens, where like they played these like in the early parts of their career, they played like really eccentric side characters. And then they got bigger roles as they got older, but they also got so much better good looking. For some reason, like Stanley Tucci in the 90s was like not not like a he just looked like a schlub like didn't really look like the guy that you'd want to host your italian travel show which like now he's like all over these ads and like he's like yeah. mr suave like watch yourself rigby it sounds like you were about to uh shame some balding uh east coasters and i wasn't going to accept that no not at all <laughs> he's suave and he's he's the guy he's like if i if i can look like stanley tucci when i'm that old like i'll be happy with that you know same year 95 so he did jury duty married his wife Catherine Spaeth talk a little bit about where that goes but a couple other movies he's in in 95 96 he's in Kiss of Death and The Day Trippers a couple movies with pretty good ratings Kiss of Death in my opinion is one of Nicolas Cage's most underrated movies I love that movie but then he steps into the director chair and doing some acting for his directing debut in 96's Big Night and uh, the way this works our guest Munson so Jeff this time gets to take whatever review I would normally do. And in this case, Jeff lucked out. He got highest critic score. And so for highest critic score being the guy's directorial debut, that's usually a pretty good sign on the front end. So let's see what Jeff has for us. I'll start off with a little bit of a synopsis, which is it's a story of two Italian brothers who, after immigrating to the U.S., they open up an authentic Italian restaurant. The problem is, is that people in the 1950s New Jersey think Italian is pretty much spaghetti and meatballs, and so the restaurant is failing. Throw in the fact that Primo, who is played by Tony Shalhoub, is the chef, but he's pretty darn stubborn, so he refuses to change his menu from the authentic Italian, while Secondo, who is played by Stanley Tucci, the other brother, he's the businessman, and so he starts looking around for advice on how they can survive, and he finds some advice in a local and rival Italian restaurant, played by Ian Home. And they create a plan together to get a famous jazz musician to make an appearance at their restaurant. And they'll put on a big night of food and hopefully people will fall in love with the restaurant. Spoiler alert, Sir Ian Home is a douchebag who likes to chomp on some booty. (laughs) (laughs) And did you guys watch the movie? I did. I find it really interesting that a co-directed film it's i find it interesting to sort of watch it and go we found the same when we did our the loveless episode which Catherine biglow co-directed the uh which you talked about with willem dafoe how much of it is tucci and how much of it is not and i find big night was really you start seeing how much tucci loves food in this film uh-huh. you know there's a whole scene at the end where we literally watch him prepare cook and then eat an omelette and most people would be like all right cut out of that let's not not play all this but you watch the whole thing 
play out. Yeah. So I think there's some really good sort of genesis moments of his later career, which with cookbooks and a cooking show makes so much sense. But I think what really is a joy is watching Tony Shalhoub and Stanley Tucci as the brothers. They're so great in this film. Their banter back and forward is so awesome, especially there's a scene where a lady orders risotto, which takes way too long to make so obviously the only customers they got for the night are complaining about how long it's taking and then it's a seafood one which he cuts it traditionally so fine there's no seafood visible and these customers just complain about it and he is just like (laughs) talking about how let me go talk to them and then when he finally sees them at the door he's like I don't want to talk to them they're too ignorant you know and just the back and forth between them in that scene was just so great it has a really interesting sort of ending where everything implodes and it's sort of okay the fact that the the restaurant fails so i'm actually i'm really glad i watched this movie because i really enjoyed it far more than i thought and it was far more comedic than i thought it was going to be which sort of speaks again for stanley tucci i think he has a comedic timing which we've sort of seen in a slapsticky way so far but to actually see he's got comedic timing in a really intelligent way was was great. So I really, really enjoyed this film, hey. The best way to describe it is it's Italian food porn. <laughs> 100%. During the scene where they do the meal and the guy never shows up, they just serve their like eight round meal to everybody else that's there. And it's a bunch of recipes from Stanley's family in Italy. And it's insane. Because it takes them like seven hours to do this course meal. <laughs> and you're like, wow, they are so focused on the culinary aspect of this. I felt like it was the Italian sh- like chef with uh, Favreau and yeah, great movie. those guys. Like that version of it, but with just Italian food. It was really cool. I think what's really cool about the way uh, it's directed as well is it's very much, I can see, I know Stanley Tucci, I think he has an acting school. I, am I right in saying that? I think he does. But he approaches it very similar to a stage production yep. so you could easily have watched this play out on stage yeah. and and it would work really well and so the moment like at the end where he does cook the omelet i don't know if you guys picked up on it but mark anthony which i was really surprised to yeah. see him pop in a young mark anthony he like sits down and jumps in and just tries to start eating his omelet but he actually burns his tongue so, but because it's like they're playing it out like a stage play, you actually watch him sort of do that. We've all done it, put a hot bit of food in our mouth and you sort of do that. Oh, he's like trying to, trying to cover it over. It was really quite funny. But <laughs> the whole film is about food and the culture surrounding a meal. And it's so beautifully like encompasses Tucci's Italian heritage. Yep. Agreed. Uh, yeah, I loved it. One of the interviews I saw with Stanley Tucci about this movie is, it was very important for him to direct a movie where they could have main characters with an Italian heritage that weren't gangster or mobster related. Yep. And it was very important for him to connect that Italian heritage like you were talking about, Jeff. And he was really proud and passionate about this project. What Tucci said there is a very common belief among Italian-Americans where, you know, like anytime there's an Italian in pop culture, it's usually like the Jersey Shore Guido or a mobster. Mm-hmm. So much so that like, mobster shows have to get meta like the sopranos and make a comment on how italian americans are portrayed so 
Gucci doing that then was a pretty uh, common feeling amongst my household too, which was pretty interesting to read about. Yeah. And this is one of many crossovers with Alice and Janney. She's in a lot of different films with him over the, over his career. Our girl. She plays the florist in this one. Yes. Our previous covered with John Rigby back in the day. Yep. <laughs> cool movie. I watched it with my buddy who is not really a big movie fan. And he was like, dude, I think that's one of like my top five favorite movies after watching that. So wow. good job, Jeff. You. Appreciate you. And we will keep it moving because we got a lot more Tucci to cover here. So over the next couple of years with Tucci, we're hitting most of the reviews early on in his career before Willennium hits. So over the next couple of years, he's in his first and I think only Woody Allen film. He plays Paul in Deconstructing Harry. A smaller role in that one. But again, for a lot of actors at that time, getting in a Woody Allen movie was a pretty good benchmark, right? That's a that's yep. a good thing to be at that point in time. And then 98, as Jeff had mentioned earlier, he directs, writes, and stars in The Imposters alongside Oliver Platt and Allison Janney. And then he won a Golden Globe. So I guess his first big like award win was Emmy and Golden Globe whims for his character Walter in Winchell in 98. But we're going to hit Largest Critic App in 99, so our fourth review before 2000, knowing that he started acting in 82. And it's Into the Deep, Largest Critic App. Case. Critics came in on this one at 29%, and the audience was 75. And all you got to do is look at the cast to figure out that a bunch of people were fans of different people in this movie, and that's why they went, and that's why they liked it. But we're going to have a couple of, I guess, themes carried on in, in this review from other ones. I'm on Wikipedia, just to cite it properly, and I'm going to read the entire synopsis. In Too Deep is a 1999 American crime thriller film directed by Michael Reimer from a screenplay written by Michael Henry Bowne and Paul Aaron. The film stars Omar Epps, LL Cool J, Stanley Tucci, Pam Greer, and Nia Long. That's it. We normally have at least one other paragraph that talks about the movie. And that's this movie, right? I, I think it's a pretty unremarkable movie. What else is there to say, you know? <laughs> he plays a very, very unique role in this movie and, and does a really good job with it. And he's, as I'm watching this now, he's the only character in this movie that gives a shit about the main character. Omar Epps, who's an, an a undercover agent, he doesn't care about himself. LL Cool J plays the main like gangster on the other side of the law. And he obviously, you know, he cares a little bit about Epps, his character, but he doesn't once he realizes that he's a cop. Stanley Tucci's the only character that's like, hey, dude, you're in this thing too deep, as the title would suggest. And is the only guy that's like trying to get him out, trying to keep him out and trying to help this guy live a, live a good life. But it's a very run of the mill movie from this era about drug trafficking and drug selling and it's very unremarkable again not bad but really not all that good and anybody who's an omar f's fan who was giant at this time anybody who's ll cool j who was this was like the beginning of ll cool j's he's on the verge of being a leading man type thing Anybody who's a fan of either of those two main characters was going to like this movie. I'm on the Wikipedia page for it now, too. And it says, for the reception, it said, the movie had mixed reviews. And that's it. <laughs> for the box office, it says, the movie recouped its budget. That's it. <laughs> yes. They've just redconned it from history. Like, <laughs> just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. Quite the uh, unremarkable largest audience gap. Of about 50, I think you said, like 70 yeah. to 20. 29 to 75. Oh, boy. That's into the deep. Let's keep it moving. Now, our our last 
feature review is not going to be until 2020. So we've got a 20-year chunk of just talking about other stuff that Tucci has done. And let me tell you, he's done a lot in these 20 years from 99 to 2020. Yes, he has. We're going to dig into it because there's a lot of really cool stuff in here and, and some things that we'll mention along the way. And also, if you're listening and you're like, you haven't mentioned any TV, we'll talk about TV on the back end. So we'll get into recurring characters and brief TV stuff, but we'll get to those things. So first off, 99, he does a little crossover with Sam Rockwell in A Midsummer Night's Dream. He plays Puck and, you know, that kind of combines his film and theater backgrounds there. Two years later, 2001, he wins his second Golden Globe as Adolf Eichmann in Conspiracy, a movie that has, I know we mentioned 12 Angry Men earlier, but very similar 12 Angry Men vibe about the Nazis deciding that they're going to eradicate the Jews through gas chambers. And so it's a very heavy movie. It's a very famous HBO TV movie. And he is excellent in that film. He and Kenneth Branagh are both very good. Yeah. I heard that his agent presented the script to him. He's like, this script's about Nazis and you're going to play some guy named Adolf. Are you, are you, are you willing to take that? It's like Willem being like, which, what role in Last Temptation of Christ <laughs> yeah, exactly. do you want us to play? <laughs> I would hope Stanley Tucci would be like, uh, let me let me follow up and get some more questions about that script. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I want to make sure that's the right role for me. Adolf isn't a normal leading man name anymore. I bet there's something there. <laughs> <laughs> Seems historical. I don't think this is a Tarantino yeah. revisionist plot, right? This is there's something going on here. I mean, Eichmann became one of the more notorious terrible humans. Pretty close to Hitler when it was all yeah. said and done following the Holocaust. So he got as close as he could in name and in behavior for the historical character. What a cast, though, for this film. Like, you got oh, Colin yeah. Firth sitting over there looking like he's a nobody. And, like, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh, as you mentioned, is so good in this film. Again, this sort of plays out like a play, doesn't it? You could you could easily watch this playing out. Yep. 100%. On, in a theatre setting. And, yeah, Tucci is so good at the moments where he's, like, those little moments where his frustration boils over and he's, like, snapping behind the scenes to get things done while remaining cool in the, in the presence of everyone else. Oh, yeah. So 2002, let's talk about his relationship with his wife at the time and what happens there. Yeah, we cover every part of somebody's life. With this, it was, I think, either... I've read both stories, and so it's hard to like confirm which is true and which isn't. But I believe him and his wife were separated. And then he started acting on Broadway. In the show on Broadway, he had a sex scene with Carmela Soprano. Edie Falco, yep. yes, who's great. And they ended up having like an actual relationship. And he wasn't actually divorced from his wife, but they were separated. And him and Edie eventually broke up. And it wasn't like anything bad there. But then his wife got sick and him and his wife got back together. And so I've read both that it's like, oh, he cheated on her and had an affair. And then another one that's like, oh, well, I don't think they were together and they just didn't get a divorce. Slightly complicated, yeah. depending on who you talk to from that standpoint. But some troubles in uh, paradise, I guess, at the point in time. As he's trying to figure out his life, midlife crisis, you know, everybody has one somewhere along the way. Yeah, yeah. Some of us just happen to have it on Broadway and with really attractive actresses you know can't relate <laughs> back to the screen game 2002 in the first movie i watched for this once we learned it was tucci i i watched road to perdition he plays frank an angry mob boss oh good good movie it was a first time watch for me and again 
Tucci plays a lot of these like baddie crime boss types. I've noticed, and not necessarily like mafia, you know, like mob bosses to where it gets stereotypical Italian. But he tends to play a lot of villains yeah. in a lot of his roles over the years. He's just a good, like, pissed off guy. I feel like mm-hmm. that's and that's what you need. Someone who's yep. willing to get angry and throw shit and just intimidate people. He's pretty good at it. He commits to, like, the emotional, no matter how cartoonish it is, like the emotional outburst for whatever character it is. And yep. that's easier on, on the bad guy's side to portray. Yep. Again, I think a lot of that comes from his theater side because you're trained in, in the theater space to really put it all out there and and kind of give the full. So I think that that's where a lot of that comes from. But 2002 is a busy, I guess 2001 for filming is a big year for him because he's in Road to Perdition. He's in Made in Manhattan, plays a character named Jerry. He's in Big Trouble alongside Rene Russo in a movie we talked about on that episode. Kind of a weird movie through a really good eclectic cast. But the big key for him is 03. He is doing more stage work and he is in Frankie and Johnny and the Claire de Lune. And he got his his soul Tony nom for best actor. He, he doesn't quite have the EGOT, but he's flirted with it. That's for sure. He's definitely flirted with the EGOT. <laughs> he's got like the nomination EGOT. Exactly. <laughs> he's halfway there. Which him. is respectable in its own right, you know? Hell yeah. But 2004 in a role that... I, I don't I can't speak for the others, but a role that I really enjoyed of him. He was in Shall We Dance? He played a character named Link and he plays like a Latin dancing type. He's very good at Latin dancing. He wears a wig and talk about full commit to the 100%. like absurdity of the role. He's awesome in Shall We Dance. So good. This is actually like my wife, one of her favorite movies. So when we were talking about what actor I'd be cover- covering, I knew this would be the reference point as opposed to, say, you know, like Lovely Bones or, uh, <laughs> or any other sort of film. I think that's a great reference point. He's solid in the role and he's a very memorable character. He's the standout comedic role in the, in the film. Also, like, there's so much parts of that character, the wig, the teeth, that you could see he could easily just be like, hey, when I got the Hunger Games role, I just thought, heck, why not imagine that guy becoming a TV presenter? Exactly. I appreciate kind of the premises. His character loves Latin dancing, but he doesn't want anybody in the office to know. And I just love the way that <laughs> I sent the clip to the guys of him at the end just being like, fuck you. And football sucks. Kyle legitimately <laughs> loved that scene so much. He showed this to me at a 4th of July barbecue. I did. 100%. <laughs> He's like, yo, you have to watch this. <laughs> I was like, I'm a big fan of this. I didn't think I would be. And I'm pleasantly surprised, James. You have two days left. You should watch this 100%. You should absolutely watch this, yeah. Um, And I feel no shame in that whatsoever. Um, I also feel no shame for the fact that I enjoyed his character in The Terminal as Frank, a Spielberg film where he plays kind of the guy managing The Terminal where Tom Hanks's Bulgarian character is stuck. Yep. How do you describe his character in The Terminal? I would say very bureaucratic, like just very, does everything down to a T, like straight lace. Yeah. He's just very, yeah, he's exactly. a square. He's like a government square, you know? Mm-hmm. But he's good. Until the last little bit of the movie. Yep. That's a good movie. I watched it like last year, first time since like it came out in 2004 and I really enjoyed it. And I enjoy his character in the movie. I just want to say, I think this is a really interesting sort of season for his career in the, in the sense that I think this is off the back of being in a Woody Allen film. 
the weight that being in a Woody Allen film will bring to an actor, and if you perform well in it at this stage of like Hollywood, is that now he's like in a Sam Mendes film, he's in a Spielberg film, and yep. he's really starting to get roles where he's just not the comedic relief in a corny, cheesy sense. He's actually like, he's a respected sort of character actor that's popping up now. Yeah. And, and so I think the, the Woody Allen role is actually so pivotal for what becomes his comfort zone and what he's known for. I just love this season of his career. Great point. And also, we can't not say that 2002 to 2004 was also his J-Lo era because he was in several movies with J-Lo during that time too. So Probably a great friend to have. Woody Allen will get you to J-Lo movies. That's what... I'm hearing it. <laughs> That's the next plateau. <laughs> That's a really original movie. We struggle sometimes to have original movies come out, and it, yeah. it was a nice, refreshing change of pace and breath of fresh air when, when this hit. Yeah, man. 2004, Shall We Dance the Terminal, two movies I'd never seen before that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Just filling in all the blanks there in 04. But one blank I did not fill was The Life and Death of Peter Sellers. He plays Stanley Kubrick in 04 as well. It sounds like he does a pretty good job in that as well from what I read. Um, his first voice role was in 2005's Robots. He played Tucci. I'm going to go with that wasn't a random name. <laughs> Tied to him in uh, some way. It's like Smith in Italian. It could have been anybody. <laughs> oh, there you go. That takes us to, to 2006 to one of his most famous roles. So if you go to his IMDb, you look at his page. One of the roles that sticks out right at the top is his role as Nigel in The Devil Wears Prada, which we've covered many times, several times. Yep. He's awesome in this movie. Very calming. You know, he plays kind of the shoulder to cry on to Anne Hathaway, who's obviously the miserable intern. He uh, teaches her to, you know, push through some hard times and just kind of keep working. And he's, yeah, he's a great, great character in this movie for sure. To me, this is his most memorable role. This or which we'll get to his performance in The Lovely Bones. But I think I think those two are top for me. When we get to a top list later, I, I imagine Devil Wears Prada is top three. And if it's not, I'm going to be very mad at you. I have a completely different number one. Completely different. Love it. Hold it. Savor it, baby. If, if this film's the film that you want to tell people about who Stanley Tucci is, this is probably the most accessible film that people will remember him for. Yeah, yeah. that's true. And, but it's a heck of a lot of fun. And I think it's sort of teeters into a space where Tucci could easily have been that character all the time, but I'm glad he doesn't go there. Agreed. Agreed. So the next couple of years, he's in movies like Lucky Number Slevin. He's in Kit Kit Ridge, an American girl. He plays a magician baddie. That's not something you <laughs> normally would ever think exists, but if you haven't seen Kit Kit Ridge, then you'll know, because I watched that last night. It was a decent movie, so I don't know if you guys have ever heard of it, but it's okay. Lucky Lucky Number is a good little film, too. And he directed, wrote, and played a character named Don in Blind Date in 2008. And then 2009, he is in Julie and Julia. He plays Paul, Meryl Streep's husband, so another movie with Streep. Again, another excellent role for him. Love this movie, hey? <laughs> it's like one of those, not a guilty pleasure, it's just one of those like uplifting sort of movies that you can watch and just absolutely love as the supportive husband. He's so great in this. Um, and Streep, Amy Adams, it's it's such a good film. He grew up such a Julia Childs fans that he is quoted saying that this was like one of the roles he's wanted most. Oh, love it. That's awesome. Yeah, huge Julia Childs fan. I mean, you see his love for cooking throughout his entire 
filmography. Yeah. And it's a good movie, so I'm just glad it didn't turn out to be a stinker, that he wasn't in a Julia Child's movie, and it's one he has to be like, ugh, please, let's not talk about that. But that leads up to his only Oscar-nominated role. I mean, we're going to talk about a ton more in the next decade, but his only Oscar-nominated role in The Lovely Bones. He plays the creepy George, and he also had Golden Globe nom for Best Supporting Actor. He's got Roy Munson hair in it, too. Yes, he does. <laughs> Dude, he's, he's creepy in this. He's good. Yeah, very creepy. Well-deserved so Oscar nom. I think it's, it's such a departure from what he's done in the past that, like, when you think, oh, did he deserve an Oscar nomination? Well, like, based on his past work, to then drop a performance like this where he is so creepy, there's, like, this weird sort of vulnerability to his character as well, and it's just, like... Yeah, The Lovely Bones is such an interesting film, I think. The book is incredible, so the film doesn't do the book any justice because you really understand the sense of the girl's spirit following the whole unfolding of mum and dad not coping with it, the dad really trying to solve the murder or the disappearance. Tucci is incredible in it. Saoirse Ronan is incredible in it as well. (laughs) Two standout performances for me. It really was one of those things. I remember we actually covered it um, when we were doing our reviews. And so we got to talk to her about it and really start digging into what she was, where she went for that. And at such a young age, it was incredible to hear her speak so deeply about the character. So she's amazing. Wow, that is unbelievable. Are you just casually dropping that you've interviewed Saoirse Ronan before? Yeah, um, dude, that's great. So when you see like a child act actor who like legitimately adds to the drama of a movie, I'm always blown away. And so that's why I was like, wow, that little girl in Lovely Bones is really good. And it reminds me of like Ty Sheridan in Mud, where I was like, damn, that little kid is like really adding to the drama here. And now she's gone on to being like this really respected and accomplished actress at such a young age. And you like saw it when she was a little girl. Mm -hmm. See her shine. And she acts alongside Susan Sarandon and never, you know, when you're surrounded by actors like Susan Sarandon and and never look out of place, you know, someone's actor. Well, speaking of an actress that he works with quite a bit is Susan Sarandon like three or four times as well. So yeah, someone he's very comfortable with which we'll hit here in a little bit. But his his character, spoilers, has a brutal death, and it's fun to watch because you hate his character by the end of the movie. So that was written. Mm-hmm. The movie wasn't great, but the redemption of his terrible death falling down the cliff, yeah. enjoyed that. A lot of fun for me. His wife, Catherine, passed away from breast cancer in 2009. Tough time for Tucci, and then he happens to take on... His next role in Easy A, where he's just like a sassy, sarcastic dad, and part of me feels like he was just taking out some of his like emotional, personal frustration and just being an ass to Emma Stone's character in that movie, because he's excellent in that movie as well. He is. Every line he drops kills me, dude. Like, in that movie, he's one of my favorite parts. He's so funny. <laughs> when his son's like, you know, people talk about me being adopted. He's like, you're not adopted, and his son's black. It is so fucking funny. <laughs> <laughs> Very, very good. The fact that he, I, I think he shows a bit of his range in Easy A, strangely off the back of Lovely Bones, because he could have so easily have been, like, whenever he's been someone's partner, he's always had a bit of uh, flamboyance to him. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, the time when he's just, like, he's just, like, out and out, straight, solid, masculine character. 
And again, like that's a big part of his range to go. Actually, he's not just a softer character. He's also mm-hmm. like he can be harder if he needs to in a masculine sense. I love it so much. And speaking of on your guys's point of range, his next role, he plays Sean in Burlesque. He plays a gay character in that movie that is not a caricature in any sense of the the word to where he could make it really flamboyant and throw on a lisp, right? And he doesn't do any of that. And he plays a gay character in a number of roles throughout his career, one that I'll review later, where I think he does it a little bit more respectfully. But just looking at the major creep and lovely bones to the sassy dad jokester and easy a to the gay character running the club with Cher and burlesque. I mean, that's range in just three roles right there across the board. Uh-huh. Another first time watch for me the other day. Kind of the last day, as we get into the, the final decade here of his career, he directs a Broadway play, Lend Me a Tenor. And then, again, range, he enters the superhero world as Dr. Erskine in Captain America, the first Avenger. He's got a little bit of an accent going on in that movie, but he joins the MCU, just like many others we've covered. So good. I think, like, what the Tooch brings to the first Avenger is, like, to the character of Captain America, he has, like, the courage and the will to be good. Like, that's underlying. But it's actually the relationship and the character that Dr. Erskine is that sort of cements that for him. He's almost like the Jiminy Cricket to Captain America. And so without the heart that Tucci brings to that character, like another actor definitely wouldn't have been able to make you care so much about them in such a small role. Yep. I actually think that's something about Tucci going back to the lovely bones. It really is. This is a, this is a role that's probably a bit underrated. Also the Captain America films, I actually think are, as an outsider, not a patriot. Very good representation of America. We all run around with the big, you know, star on our chest. Yeah, we totally. Nazis. We totally. hate operating on super serum. Yep. Soldier super yep. serum, 100%. Shields. That's been my belief. It's just like, I'm about to take my kangaroos for a walk later through the outback. Going back to Bing Rames and Mission Impossible. Go hang out with the Irwins. <laughs> That's right, the Irwins. But I think Tucci brings so much to this role that didn't need it but it actually i think his role plays a big important part to later marvel films where people realize we actually love the heart that's in these films you know if you're to do the whole marvel versus dc which is this big conversation that doesn't need to happen but like where dc films lack is they go for gritty and not not much heart and i think Mm -hmm. like the dr erskine character is actually one of the real first base characters that show how important that heart is oh yeah Jokingly, I'm saying it, but Stanley Tucci is Marvel. He's like created this whole base platform that goes on. You know, without his character, he probably we wouldn't get as much goodness later on. I agree with you wholeheartedly because I was watching it. I didn't get a chance to rewatch it, even though I wanted to. I was too busy watching Kit Kidridge <laughs> and, and Wild Call, like shit like that, <laughs> which I didn't think I was going to mention, but I guess I did. In that. The clip I watched, Tucci's character is just talking about, you know, the serum, all it does is amplify who you are. So if you're good, you become great. If, if you're bad, you become worse. That whole explanation, I think you kind of forget the origin story of Captain America and who he yep. was as this little twerp who yeah. just wanted to help people. And, and he became probably outside of Iron Man. Uh, maybe you can make the case even more than Iron Man, like everybody's favorite Marvel character of the past decade because of his inherent goodness, right? And without Tucci, 
stepping in and his character um, kind of explaining what he was to become, then I, I think you're right, Jeff, that it doesn't have the same impact. Pretty important. 2011 as well, the movie that Jeff said he was hoping to see, maybe he did, maybe didn't, but I watched it years ago, mm. is Margin Call, and that movie's great. He's in like the first 10 minutes and then disappears because the whole movie's about this bank that's about to go bankrupt, and and Stanley Tucci's character is the one that discovers the like the fraud that the bank is is putting itself under but they fire him that day so that then when the bank discovers that like all this stuff's going to get out they try to find him and so he's he's a really good character in it he shows up the first 10 minutes and then probably the last uh half hour or so but yeah he's he's good in it great movie good cast too sounds good 2012 as well uh, the role that he's probably most known for up to this point in his career, and that's his role as Caesar in the Hunger Games. First of, what, four films? And I know James watched a lot of Hunger Games movies in the past week. <laughs> yeah, and this is my favorite Tucci role. I think he is delightful. In- it's the hair, isn't it? He is just so over the top, and <laughs> he plays into the absurdity of how the story is being told. Because the first two Hunger Games, as rewatching all four of them, the first two are actually really good movies. Yeah. The next two are kind of boring, and it's like, hey, how can we keep milking this cash cow or whatever? But the first two are really good. And Tucci, yeah, as the host of The Hunger Games, is just so like funny, and he shows how disconnected that group of people are from people in the story and i he's every time he's on screen you know he's like representing the bad guys but you're like oh oh, but dude i I could watch him for an entire hour kind of reminds me of like one of those like quack like evangelical just like with the veneers and the teeth and the tan it's like he's just really creepy just comes off as like a slime ball which is what the point is i mean that's that's perfect for him so do you guys know who he actually based this character on who in a graham norton interview he based it on wayne newton jiminy glick and graham norton (laughs) (laughs) hilarious jiminy glick dude you see that all over it what a call yeah we didn't mention it last week but willem dafoe was in jiminy click in la la wood i did took it off the show (laughs) notes but (laughs) return to that that's right i love it in case you were wondering speaking of flirting with the ega that we mentioned earlier he did some voice work on the one and only Shrek in 2012 with Meryl Streep. Tends to work with Streep. Streep likes to work with him. And he got a Grammy nomination for Best Spoken Word Album for Children. So that's cool. You know, so it's like 2012 is this like weird year where he's doing all this other stuff. So he married Felicity Blunt, Emily Blunt's sister. They met at Emily Blunt and John Krasinski's wedding, as we mentioned a few episodes back, when I knew we were doing Tucci and no one else did. So that was fun for me. But also that's the same year that he released his you know, his first cookbook, the Tucci cookbook, and he became a co-owner of the Finch Tavern in Croton Falls, New York. 2012 was a year of personal growth for Tucci and doing some other stuff that weren't film and becoming an institution, a brand, making some cash along the way. So good for him. Speaking of making cash, 2014, he's in Transformers Age of Extinction (laughs) as Joshua. We won't talk much about that one. We'll talk about his other Transformers character here in a minute because I think that one's much more interesting. But first... Also 2014, he plays Leonardo da Vinci in Mr. Peabody and Sherman, an animated film. He's got the Italian accent going. He's It's another crossover with Alice and Janney. It's kind of a silly movie, but you get to see Tucci in his element. And again, loves rocking the accents. He definitely hasn't shied away from that in his career. 
Another comedic, smaller comedic role, he's in Muppets Most Wanted as Ivan the Guard alongside Danny Trejo. Yep. He's got kind of a funny role in that one. A lot of the one-shot actors do in that movie. Dude, Danny Trejo's in a Muppet movie. Great. Dancing and singing. Don't discount that. <laughs> and it's one of his better movies, let's be honest. So I know, James, you said your favorite role is Hunger Games. And I think, Jeff, you said The Lonely Bones. For me, I think his best character in any movie is his role as Mitch Garabedian in Spotlight in 2015. Oh, good call, Kyle. The movie that won Best Picture. Uh, he plays a lawyer repping the victims that were affected by uh, priests not being moved out of parishes. And I just really appreciate the choices he made with that character to be so solely focused on the justice that he's trying to pursue that he doesn't have time to deal with like the bureaucracy of what's going on or dealing with these journalists who have continued to screw things up over and over again. His character's relentlessness, I think really sets up the movie to be successful. Yeah, absolutely. He's in a sweet spot in this role because this is where he grew. Like I know it takes place in Boston, but he's 100% playing a, personality he's seen a thousand times growing up in new york like that is a absolute emotional sweet spot for him because he's just mimicking all the lawyers or just people who work in law enforcement that he knows that are like that because it's something that rang true to me i was like oh yeah that is someone who's clearly from the same place that i'm from the way he talks his mannerisms and then like oh we're in boston i was like yeah but garabedian comes across to me like he's a hundred percent from new york yeah, very much like about his business, right? Yep. Yeah. So if you haven't seen Spotlight, go see it. It's on Netflix. Big, really good movie. It's great. Well worth yeah, it. Amazing. Dude, the yeah. cast is amazing in that movie. Oh, 100%. During this time, you know, he's reprising his role as Caesar in all the other Hunger Games movies. So he's busy. He's in these big blockbusters making some cash. And he's great in it. Like, people are making cash grabs. He's getting that money, but he is great in every one of these. And these yeah. movies aren't that good. He's not selling out in those Hunger yeah. Games movies. Like, he's got a really memorable character, and he's knocking out of the park every single time. So no shade on that front. And going into 2017, absolutely no shade. 2017 is the year of Emma Thompson for him because he is in the Children Act as Jack, and he's also in Beauty and the Beast as Maestro Cadenza, another role with Emma. So Emma's the the favorite, my favorite actor of anyone we've covered up to this point. So, you know, 2017, I'm a fan of his work in that year because she's excellent. Those are good movies, too. There's a lot of Munsons in this movie. Yep, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mrs. Potts and Plumet. Yep. So we'll kind of round it out the last couple of years for our our final category. We've got... Final Portrait, he directs and writes that one in 2017. And again, 2017 is busy. He plays Merlin, the drunk Merlin in Transformers <laughs> The Last Night. Was he only Merlin in this one? Yeah. Yes. Oh, okay. The, I, I remember him in a big part in the other one. Didn't he have a, like a primary role in the other yeah, one? Yeah, he does. Yeah, Joshua. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, the line in this one is he's there like preaching at the end of the movie and... He goes, I'll give up everything. I'll give up booze. I'll give up money. I'll give up what? He's going to say women. He's like, I'll give up booze and money. (laughs) (laughs) You know, we glanced over the final portrait. I put it on the other day in the background, and I couldn't stop watching it. It is a really well-made movie that he wrote and directed. I know you said something by text about his directorial style that you liked. Well, what about it that stuck out to you? It's almost like his acting style where he fully commits to that whatever it is and you just get so drawn into that movie and and the way the characters are written especially the main character he you can't tell if he's fucking with army hammer's character the whole time or he is this delusional 
artist. It's a really good movie. It's not a fast-paced movie, and, and it's not necessarily an easy watch from an action standpoint, but it's it's a really watchable, enjoyable movie. I was I was surprised at how much I liked it, because that those types of movies are definitely not my normal thing. In the category of tough, not easy watches, the last movie I'll mention before we get to our final category is Show Dogs. <laughs> uh, movie... Movie I've reviewed for this pod. Yes, you have. Crossover with Natasha Leone and Warren has listed on his movies of much worse than Speed 2 Cruise Control. <laughs> and I don't disagree with him. It's pretty brutal. <laughs> it plays a dog in that one, the little dog. 2020 comes and we hit largest critic gap. Warren's not here, so he would normally cover this. Um, so I'll step in because Jeff so kindly took my review. And so I'll, I'll pick up Warren's. And it's a movie called Supernova. It's an interesting film. It's a very slow film, but Tucci plays Tusker, a character who's diagnosed with dementia. So a very, you can tell right away, it's a very heavy topic, heavy theme. His partner is Colin Firth, so somebody he's worked with before. We talked about him in Conspiracy together. The plot is they tra- they travel across England in an RV to visit people and places from their past while Tucci's character still has the ability to remember. Kind of the foreshadowing of the entire film and the emotional arc of the film is Tucci knowing he's slowly losing it because of the dementia and him toiling with whether or not he wants Colin Firth's character to stick around through that. And right up until almost the last moments of the movie, he's very much like, we're going to go on this trip we're going to annoy the crap out of each other, but we're going to relive some good times. But then you need to kind of step away from this because everything that you remember that is great is what's going to happen is not going to be that. So it's a, it's very, very heavy. I like that his character, again, he plays another gay character, but he doesn't sensationalize it. In fact, the movie doesn't really allude to the fact they have a sexual relationship. There's no scenes like that. They kiss each other a few times, but a lot of it's about the emotional connection that these two characters have with each other. And it's very genuine. Very, very genuine. Yeah. And I really appreciated that about the film. And I think it gives people a glimpse into the trauma experience, not just by the folks who are dealing with the dementia, but also everyone else around them. Because there's a few scenes where his symptoms start to kick in and everybody has to deal with it, and they just don't know how to react to it. I'm not going to spoil anything because it's only been out for like six months. I think it came out in February. I like the way the movie lands on this concept of figuring out how to accept your own mortality and accept the mortality of others because I think that's something we all run into at some point in our lives and it is really hard to do. I thought he and Firth are both very good in this movie and it's definitely an Oscar Beatty type of film, but I just don't think timing wise it came out at a good time for like Oscar cycle things. It came out kind of on the back end of it. so. It's got, a, it's got a before trilogy vibe, if you've ever seen those films with Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Oh, yeah, before Sunset and... Mm-hmm. Before Sunrise. Very conversational based on them being in a car together and just like really good script. Very similar vibe with this movie. A lot of focus on dialogue, but it, it's got a really cool emotional arc to it. So if you haven't watched it yet, I, I recommend it. It is, in the States at least, it is streaming on Hulu. I don't know about Australia. <laughs> yeah, I do think it's probably the COVID restrictions and the way that it's affected cinematic releases. I think we probably would have got this film, you know, in the lead up to a, like, it does scream Oscar bait, doesn't it? You know, Colin yep. Firth, Stanley Tucci in a relationship together dealing with a, a crippling disease. And yep. you watch the trailer and it looks really emotional. I was really keen to see it because I feel like, uh, I don't know about you guys, but every now and then I'll watch a trailer and I'm like, I'm going to enjoy this film. And it 
usually it's just like for whatever reason I do nah. enjoy it a, a yeah. lot. This this one just felt like one that I'm gonna walk away going far out. How good was Tucci? How good was Colin Firth? Their chemistry is really good. Yeah, you you get that in the trailer alone. You know, mm-hmm. and I think Tucci, like if they were reversed, even just from the trailer, I feel like Firth doesn't have the acting chops to carry the character that Tucci has the way that Tucci would. So uh, I'm really keen to see it. So I'll, I'll check it when it's uh, when it's out on streaming over here. For Critic App, it's an 89.69. So critics loved it, but audiences didn't hate it. So that says something to his big, his biggest Critic Gap is only a 20 gap, and it's a movie that generally is beloved by both fans and audiences. It just came out at a bad time. It didn't make any money. That's Supernova. Get out, check it out. I think you will enjoy it if you like those kinds of dramas. If you don't, you got to be in a type of mood to see it. I will say that. It's kind of like watching some of the other films that Rigby's been reviewing the last couple of episodes. <laughs> so last couple ones here, as we round things out, he's in The Witches as Mr. Stringer, the kind of the, the guy who manages the hotel in a crossover with Chris Rock. And a movie that isn't out yet but has been released, is it's called Worth. And it's I would liken it from a role standpoint to his work in spotlight, which I said is my favorite role. This is going to be up there. It's a movie that's not going to come out to general audiences until September 11th, two months. Never forget. Yep, exactly. Never forget. This movie will help you never forget the basic gist. It's him and Michael Keaton. So working together again, and it's about what is the worth of a life. And in this case, what's the worth to families who have lost someone in nine 11. Michael Keaton plays a lawyer who is basically trying to pay out the least amount of money possible to these families. And Stanley Tucci plays very similar to Spotlight, a lawyer who is trying to advocate for them. Nice. It's about those two men, kind of their ethical dilemma going back and forth. If you liked him in Spotlight, you'll really like him in the movie Worth. So check that out when it comes out in a couple months. Interesting. That's the uh, the film rundown. There's a lot more. We didn't cover all of them. I mean, we've been here for a while. <laughs> By this point, you're like, damn, that's a lot. There's so much more that he's done over the years. A lot of smaller parts that we're, we didn't have time to get into. So yeah. if we didn't mention something you love, don't hate us. You can tweet at us and just say, hey, you forgot this. He's great in this. And we'd be like, you're right. So let's transition to his TV work. So we talked a little bit about theater, a lot about film. He's done a lot of TV, too, over his career. So We'll get into his recurring characters. So generally characters where he was in more than three episodes. So we'll start with his role as Frank or Steven in Miami Vice between 86 and 88. So very early in his career. Played a villain. And from what I can gather, a pretty good villain, a pretty well-known villain in the Miami Vice world in the 80s. You mean the Miami Vice universe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, the MBU, baby. <laughs> number one um, new show, Kyle. Number one new show. <laughs> Who was the actor? Was it Chris Rock that said, had like the worst Miami Vice character ever? Fans consider the worst episode of all time that Chris Rock was in. There's so many fan videos from Miami Vice on YouTube when I'm looking stuff up. Fans seem to love Tucci's villain character. And I watched some of the clips and he's right on par with a lot of the other villain work he's done later in his career. Seven years later, he's in Murder One as Richard, uh, which he got his first primetime Emmy nom yep. for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama. And I know Jeff's a fan of this. Yeah, I certainly am. This was like one of the first like television events I remember. 
in the media in Australia, it was like, Murder One's coming, it's going to be huge. Everyone was like really hyped for it. Strangely, I watched it with my mum when it was released. And if I think about how old I was, I was probably 12, 13. So there were probably a lot of things that she was like, cover your eyes. But he was so good in this. When um, I started really digging into Stanley Tucci's career, it was like, again, it was almost like that, the opposite of jury duty in terms of quality. But like the flash of, oh my gosh, that show was amazing. Amazing, And it sort of was like a long form sort of primal fear vibe, you know, the Edward Norton, uh, Richard Gear movie. So like there were so many like twists and turns throughout this court case and you're at one stage pin it on Stanley Tucci's character. And then later you're not sure if it was Stanley Tucci. And it's like, it was such a great show. So I, I really wish I had time to go back and watch all 20 odd episodes. Sadly, he gets like re, he gets dropped for the second season. So Jeff, you're saying that his primetime Emmy nomination is well earned for the show? There are moments in this that you feel like lovely bones. You know, there's moments of this where he's quite charming, but you're really unsure of him as well. So like, this is very well-deserved. Well, over the next couple of years, a lot of recurring TV shows. So he's in Three Pounds as Dr. Douglas Hansen in 06. He has a run on ER as Dr. Moretti. He got another primetime Emmy nom for that role. In 2014, 2015, he produced Park Bench with Steve Buscemi, and he got an Emmy win for that. So that's pretty cool. That is. 2015, he stars in a British series called Fortitude, where he plays DCI Morton. He's in all nine episodes, and that's a really interesting TV series. It takes place in the northernmost community in the world, and they've never had a violent crime until this one researcher or scientist turns up dead and it's a really interesting role london sends him in but he has no english accent and he's clearly an american 2017 he's in feud betty and joan he plays jack i've got another primetime emmy now my point here is he's gotten a lot of emmy love for his recurring characters over the years he's in limetown in 2019 as a meal and we have a crossover with Alison Bree. He's in a few episodes of BoJack Horseman, 2014 to 2020, just throughout that time span. And then most recently, the man has taken his foodie Italian love to the next level. And he's in Stanley Tucci searching for Italy. How many episodes? There's six of them. He's in Italy and talking about food, right? It's excellent. And it's like right up. Talk about a dream job. He literally just goes from like little bar to little bar, tasting wine and bread and food and soup. And it's awesome. When you're as charming as him, I bet you uh, flourish in this role. Oh, sure. (laughs) He brings the charm in this. I mean, he's speaking fluent Italian with a lot of people and it's excellent. And there are other recurring characters. He had 14 total in his career. And I think I mentioned like eight of them. So there's a bunch of other stuff he's done. In terms of brief TV appearances over the years, again, a lot of them. He's in The Equalizer in 88, 30-something, 89. He made an appearance on Frasier in 04 as one of Frasier's callers. We see him working again with Tony Shalhoub in Monk, and he got an Emmy win for a guest appearance on that show in 2006, which is pretty cool. Very good. And then in 2011, he crossed over with Maya Rudolph and Beastie Boys Fight for Your Right Revisited. He and Susan Sarandon play the old couple who lives up in the building at the, the start of the video. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, go to YouTube. It's fantastic. And also, you should go watch the Beastie Boys documentary on Apple TV Plus because that's a, a really fun one, too. But he's pretty funny in that alongside Sarandon, someone he's worked with a lot. But again, 30 Rock, Robot Chicken. He's in an episode of American Dad. He 
plays Lorenzo's rocking the Spanish accent, teaching people how to play guitar. And then most recently, a couple will highlight, he kind of got some more fanfare for his pop culture impact in 2018 when SNL did a skit on him called Tucci Gang, featuring Pete Davidson and our boy <laughs> Sam Rockwell. Unbelievable. So good. Yeah. I want to name my son Tucci. <laughs> he had no clue. And the best part, Sam Rockwell didn't even tell him he was going to do it. <laughs> his friends and family were like texting him, blowing him up the next day. And he's like, he had to ask his one of his kids to show him what was going on because he couldn't figure out. <laughs> he was real, really happy about it because he is friends with Sam Rockwell. We love Rockwell. But if you don't know the song Tucci Gang, just imagine the song Gucci Gang and just change out Gucci for Tucci. And you'll get the gist. <laughs> Two minute video. It's on YouTube. Check it out. But the last few things we'll mention. So I got to give a shout out to the Standing Stanley Tucci YouTube channel. We do one episode on Stanley Tucci. Where we try to cover as much as we can to encapsulate his career. This YouTube channel covers every I'm like every credit he's ever done in his career. I don't know how far they are in right now, but you can go to YouTube and they will cover all of his performances. So super Stanley Tucci fans, we are just accessories to their plot. If you're a Tucci fan, you want to know even more about all, all the small roles, go check them out. And then finally, he received his honorary doctorate from the American University in Rome for contributions to arts and humanities in 2021. All this great stuff, you know, his Italian background, it's kind of a cool little recognition for him. For You get that honorary doctorate because you gave them money. That's <laughs> I'm trying to be noble here. Contributions to the arts. Yes, we know what that means. <laughs> so he's a philanthropist yeah. to our listening audience, and you should judge him accordingly. All right. Well, we've reached the end of a lot of the major performances, and he's a busy guy. So Rigby usually tease up some top performances for us and let's see what he's got. Yeah, so we're going to use a list from Cinema Blend. Uh, we've used it on a few actors. This is Ooh. numerically ranked and it's from August 2020, so it's current and it's numerical, so it's 10 best roles of Stanley Tucci's career, so who wants to start it off? Film and TV. The 74th Hunger Games. Hunger Games is number 5. Good job, James. Of course. Spotlight. Spotlight number nine. Oh. I know it should be higher in my in my eyes as well. Murder my spirit. Devil Wears Prada. Julie and Julia. Yeah, uh, number four. Nice job, Kyle. Devil Wears Prada is number one. Ooh. My, my boy Nigel coming in number one. Yeah. Give me burlesque. I'm gonna go long shot. Nope. <sighs> Ooh. Shall we dance? Nope. Beethoven. Nope. <laughs> Captain America. Ooh. Sad to say that jury duty is not on. <laughs> Captain America is number six, Greg. Oh. Conspiracy. Has to be on there. Nope. What? Is Lovely Bones? Lovely Bones is number two. Okay. Nope. Good. His Oscar nominated one. That makes sense. Uh, what are we missing right now? We're missing number three, eight, seven, and ten. Oh. Easy A. Easy A is ten. Oh, nice. Yeah, wow. He's good in that. Undercover Blues. Please be on there. What? Undercover Blues? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not on here. Yeah, it doesn't deserve to be. <laughs> Give me Drunk Merlin. Nope. Kyle, think of a think of a movie that you said blends his theater and film work together perfectly. Oh. Oh, uh Conspiracy. No, it's something later in his career that I mentioned. No, that. it's actually earlier in his career. Is it early in his career? Oh, is it Big Night? Yeah. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Big Night's number three. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, wow. Which one did I say blends the two really well together? Is it the terminal? It's a famous play. Oh. Oh, uh Midnight Midsummer Night's Dream? Yes, there you go. Oh, interesting. And then number seven, I don't think we talked about Big Trouble. Oh, we did. I mentioned it quickly. I mean, he's really oh, you quirky it. in that one. Yeah, you did mention that quickly. You're right. You're right. Well, we didn't get into it. Yeah, that's number seven. So 
I wouldn't put Big Trouble ahead of Spotlight, but hey, like, do your thing, Cinema Blend. I wouldn't either. <laughs> All right, let's get into the Munson meter. So the way this works, we rank every actor on a scale of 0 to 100 based on a variety of factors, depending on what we value or don't value. Those could include longevity, project choice, pop culture impact, acting range, awards footprint, any other talents they might have, their personal life whether they're a great person or not, comedic chops, box office success or lack thereof, and anything else that really matters to us. So we will start this time with Rigby. Dan Lee Tucci has been around for a long time. His career has kind of arced in a way that really appealing because, you know, he started out not really in some good stuff. And I think Big Night was really his first role that kind of turned everything around for him. And it's kind of gone up since then some of his roles i think they sh- they do show his range a little bit I, I do wish he could have a little more of a comedic aspect to his career but again we don't know what he's been offered and what he's turned down and stuff i mean that could just be a total that could just be his decision after all so but i think where he gets the most points for me is pop culture impact i, I think people just know who the guy is yeah whether it's his name his face like people know who stanley tucci is like they see him in a movie and they know what to expect from him And then, you know, he's got the whole cookbook thing. He's got the show on CNN. Like, he's just a very well-rounded, well-liked Hollywood celebrity. I mean, the guy just kind of found his sweet spot, and he's riding it into the sunset. Uh, All that being said, I'm going to give him a 74. On my end, I I find it to be... I think it's clear he's a successful actor, director, producer, Broadway performer, and just all around just pleasant human. And I like the fact that he lives in London and is kind of off the beaten path and doesn't really... You know, he's never been one to like, I'm going to open up a restaurant in Los Angeles and LA. He's going to open it up in like upstate New York where he's from. So I think that's really cool. He stays true to his roots and who he is, who he is as a human. I loved a lot of the roles that he's picked recently, in particular roles like Spotlight and Worth that I think have really important uh, ramifications for just like society at large. And he taking using his talents for something for good. I think that's to be commended. I know it wasn't on the top 10 list, but undercover blues like his character morte like i will always remember that role just like i always remember emma thompson as c molina in that one movie from 2016 like just really eccentric really gas pedal balls to the wall and i love that about what he brings to his craft one thing that pesters me about acting these days is this idea of like you have to be a certain thing to play that character i think it you see it a lot when we talk about representation and he got criticized for supernova yep. for not being gay and playing a gay character. And when they asked him in interviews about it, he's like, listen, he knows it's a sensitive question to answer. He goes, you know, the job of acting is to play somebody that you're not. Right. And so he's like, for me, I love playing characters that are very different than who I am as a person. And he's like, I fully support representation. Right. And if we bring in gay actors or whatever it happens to be, whatever identity, they should be playing characters they're not, right? So I appreciate that he finds a really respectful way to say, you know, acting is about taking on the spirit of somebody who you aren't and being able to, like, adopt that identity because I think it can get pretty choppy. Generally speaking, right, other than that Oscar win, he's done very well in the awards world. It's won the Golden Globes, the Emmys, you know, he's got the Tony nom. And to quote Pete Davidson in Tucci Gang, he adds great value to your flick. <laughs> and because of that, I'm going to give Tucci an 81. All right, Jeff, what do you got as our guest Munson? I, I love the Tucci. I've got <laughs> no dramas talking this way. I flat out love him. And I think you guys have all made 
like incredible points around it. I think he's one of those actors that when he is on the screen, you are immediately drawn to him. You know, even jury duty, when he's on as the juror at the start before he gets unveiled as the villain, you can't help but, like, look in his direction, you know. So there's a presence about him. I think he has found his sweet spots. Probably that sort of, those sort of 2000s through to now has really been where he's established himself. I think when you look at the calibre of actors that he is surrounded by in films and the directors that are making movies and want him to be in their films, it really shows that he is talented. And I think that it just can't be underestimated in how big that is because a lot of directors, you know, they're very choosy in who they want in their roles. So it means that he is probably very easy to work with, takes his craft serious. He has definitely got a better actor as his career's gone on. Yeah. And so I think that's really important as well. I think, yeah, the, the pop culture stuff to, to lock yourself into some Hunger Games, Transformers, even to turn up in a Muppet movie shows that you are definitely <laughs> someone. Because, like, the Muppet films always, the people who make cameos in those films are people who are relatively well-known. You know, he's around yeah. in that scene, which is hilarious. He's surrounded by Ray Liotta, he, Dan, Danny Trejo, uh, Jermaine Clement. You know, there's all these actors there that are, are really not front spotlight sort of actors but they're also really well-known faces so i think again to to have that so um even like when we talk the witches he is so great in that film sort of slipping in and out of the character of the hotel manager with an accent at times losing it a little so i think he is a a, a great actor I think he is he is an asset to any film that he's in. And I watched I went on a bit of a run of watching Graham Norton videos as well of Stanley Tucci and he is so much fun in those. It's like one where he's just a part of the silly dying laughing. Yeah, and you realize he just feels like a joyous person to be around as well. I love that about him. The Lovely Bones is a standout for me, as well as Julie and Julia. That's probably one of my favourite movies of his. So I was thinking about it. I was like, oh, man, I hope I don't go too high or too low. But 85 was where I was sitting for him because even to be in a Marvel film, you know, it just shows the depth that he has. I love it. Love it. Hey, we support any and all scores here, and if you want to adjust as you go, that's allowed too. And we don't score shame. All right, James, well, speaking of, you're up next. I think you guys nailed it. His name recognition and his face recognition in pop culture is huge. I think that's because he's a consistent scene stealer. And it's this charismatic and charming, but also completely over the top characters that he plays and the personality that he shows. What I appreciate is he does all of that. He is that caricature but without being an Italian mobster caricature, which I really appreciate. So like he will play to the full extent of what he thinks his character is called for, but he doesn't play into stereotypes, which I think is pretty cool. Cause that's, that's tough to do because it's an easy way to get a laugh in certain scenarios or in dramatic ones to be, instead of being just a thug being an Italian, like a mobster thug, he could have leaned on stereotypes and he doesn't do that. Um, so I always appreciated that with him. Seems like a really likable guy. And we're both from uh, the old country. Our, our ancestors are from the boot. So I give him a bump for that. But what I, what I knock on him is when I look at him, I, I see like a really strong supporting actor. And 
I think he's someone that's a great contribution to all your movies, but I, I don't see a lot of leading man roles from him. And my favorite roles from him are when he is a compliment to the rest of the story. I am actually shocked I'm going on the lower side in the group, but I will also be a 75. All right, Case, what do you got? You guys have nailed most of everything I'm going to talk about, but I just want to summarize. Bald and beautiful, check. Writer, director, check. <laughs> Subject, a great SNL skit, check. Guest on what I love is the Graham Norton show, check. <laughs> and to me, which might actually be one of the more impressive things that any person creating content can be and that's the author of a book i think it's one of the coolest things that people can do is write a book and especially a good one and i'm going to give him a 79 while warren isn't here he did send me his description and score so i will read that to you now so solid career duration very diverse in his role abilities stage tv and big screen capabilities underrated role of his was emma stone's dad in easy a so he's a fan agreed held back by bigger roles in hit movies and lack of awards footprint one of the more noticeable faces we've covered but i still think the below average munson would struggle to place a name gives bald guys a good name minus having an affair and that earns him a 75 look at that and this is normally when i would say hey warren What's the, you know, what's the average here? But since I'm doing that, I will give us the average. All of that together gives Stanley Tucci a 78.17. Fair. Which puts him in 13th between Ken Watanabe and Chris Rock. Insanely fair. And remember, his ranking on my metrics was 12th. Oh, look at that. That's true. I, I don't think we've ever been as close. <laughs> This is also when I would ask Warren, what does Tucci have coming? <laughs> he is slated to be in a movie called Jolt that is completed. He is in the upcoming The King's Man as Merlin of the Kingsman universe. I hate how they just keep like spacing out how to pronounce that name. It's not, <laughs> it's making it more difficult to understand. Like, is this the first or the fifth? Right? Like, what are we talking about? It's a prequel, isn't well, it? He's playing a character named Merlin. So maybe we're going to see the Transformers crossover. Yeah, it's the prequel. Yep. He's in the animated series, What If? So tied to the Marvel Universe there. Woo. He'll reprise his role of Dr. Abraham Erskine for that. He's in a couple TV... Actually, most of everything else is TV series. So something called La Fortuna. A little bit of a treasure-focused show. Citadel, which plot kept under wraps. Woo. We'll find out on that one. <laughs> this is an action-packed spy series. Inside Man, which is about a prisoner on death row in the U.S. and a woman trapped in a cellar under an English cross paths in the most unexpected way. Mm. That seems two people that are trapped in different locations crossing paths seems challenging. Finally, he is in a movie that's in pre-production called The Man Who Saved Paris, which is about the most successful brothel owner in Paris during the 40s, asked by the government to restore the, the city's image after the Nazi occupation. Sweet. Interesting. They asked a pimp to do that? Uh, I guess so. Good for you, France. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so he's got a bunch coming up. All right, so five actors we're throwing onto the wheel for the next episode. Those five actors are Ike Barinholtz. He hasn't made an appearance since, like, episode one. It's been a long time. Michael Keaton, who we've mentioned a bunch of times. Mary Steenbergen, Lakeith Stanfield, and Aubrey Plaza. What do we like? What do we dislike about that list? Batman. Keaton. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely I mean, I Keaton. think Keaton's the, the standout. The runaway. Lakeith Stanfield, even though he hasn't been in a lot, dude, he's an awesome actor. I actually Fantastic. I like the rest of the list. I just think. Keaton far and away, but Lakeith is amazing. I think Aubrey Plaza is hysterical. 
And I actually, I've really enjoyed Ike Barinholtz in a lot of what I've seen him in. I think the only person who I don't immediately recognize is Mary Steenberger. Uh, she's the mom in Step Brothers. She's been in a lot of stuff. Oh, okay. Yes, I know who you're talking about. Aaron Hood, Back to the Future 3. She's a very prolific actor. But yeah, I would agree. We're going to laugh the most if it's Plaza and Baron Holtz. I love the little hours. That shit was hysterical. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Covered that on the Allison Brie episode. Stanfield's great, though. I would love to cover uh, Lakeith. What about you, Jeff? You had to pick one. Who are you taking? Keaton. Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah, of course. There's so much on there to watch that is versatile, like to be able to talk Beetlejuice and then... Oh, yeah. Jump into the Batman films. But even like, you know, later on, again, you've got Spotlight in there and he's done some really sort of meaty work. Things like Gung Ho really took me by surprise in that film. It, oh, man, Night Shift with Henry Winkler. Yep. You know, so little films like that that you realised he had so much charisma so early. Mm-hmm. I agree. Aubrey Plaza too. Like there's something, she's crazy and would be heaps of fun, but. I don't know if she's got much outside of what she always does. Right. Yep. Kind of a one trick pony, probably in a lot of ways there. Very good at what she does is being weird. That's for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but she's funny as shit. If we did it, y'all would need to watch Black Bear, which came out like a year and a half ago and is a fucking banana batshit movie. It's probably Critic Gap. I can almost guarantee it if it falls. So. <laughs> All right, well, doesn't matter. None of us make that decision. The wheel does, so we'll let the wheel decide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Batman decides. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure, my friend. We appreciate you joining us bright and early over there in Australia. Any plugs about the podcast or words of wisdom for our audience? Yeah, for sure. I'll plug myself. Uh, check out from First to Last Podcast. It's where all good podcasts are found. We're on all the socials as well, at FFTL Podcast. So check that out. We're about to kick off our Michael Mann season, so there will be some chats around oh, cool. Miami Vice, which we sort of touched on today. Heat. Heat, we're really looking forward to. We've actually, like, this is one of those seasons where we're sort of leveling up on our guests as well. So we've actually got someone who was involved with the production of one of the films chatting with us. It's one of those things I want to say who it is, but you'd hate for it yeah. to fall through and everyone be like, you promised me so-and-so. Right. But we've got sort of four really great guests for this season, so I'm really excited for it. We also rank our, like you guys do as well, we rank our directors. We've currently got Robert Zemeckis is like the master tier. But, um, <laughs> you know, when you start having debates about whether Catherine Bigelow is a better director than Sam Raimi is a really interesting sort of conversation to have. So, yeah, so people can check that out. I wish I had more stuff to plug, but really keep listening to this. This is awesome. I've loved being on here today and, and chatting all things The Tooch. It's been a pleasure, Sir Jeffrey. Oh, thank you so much. Pleasure, man. Had a great time. <laughs> Similar model, they just do director right so yeah, we awesome. cover the actor they cover the director it's a great universe to live in right it is it is we appreciate you being here man we'll, we'll we will certainly invite you back at a later time 100 percent of it all right thanks man next podcast is going to hit on july 29th our featured guest is Corey wallace the long-awaited much anticipated yes we haven't had her back since episode 13 for natasha leone which is still by far our most downloaded episode so no pressure, Corey. We're hoping you bring in the fire again for whoever that actor is of those five. But we'll have some fun in the meantime. So you can catch us on Twitter, Munson's at Movies. You can find us on Instagram, Munson's at the Movies. You can email us, Munson's at the Movies at gmail.com. Any final thoughts from the Tooch? All right. I am what they say. I'm a liar. I'm a charlatan. 
I've deceived my whole life. But if I could, for one moment, change this world for the better, I would give up everything. Everything. I'd give up drink, money, win. Drinking money. <laughs> Munson's out. All right, let's go. Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a PhD in stupidity. Doctor, shall we? <laughs>